Hello, friends and damn givers. I'm Nick LaPara, and welcome to the Let's Give a Damn podcast. I hope you're ready for a really great episode because this is a really fucking great episode. Let's go. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so incredibly glad you're here. Thank you for hitting play. Thank you for showing up this week. And most of all, thank you for joining me and us on this journey toward leaving the planet much better than we found it. Friends, it is Black History Month, and in classic American fashion, white people are still trying to distort what this country has done in the past to people of color and what this country is still doing to people of color today. For example, Ron DeSantis continues banning books about black history, American history that is, because these books hurt his white feelings. And he is also banning history courses, black history courses, in Florida colleges and universities. And if that's not enough, Ron DeSantis could very well become the next president of this exceptionally unexceptional country of ours. I say all that to say this. We don't learn. We don't learn. We haven't learned a goddamn thing, actually. And we, as Coleman Domingo says in the clip you're going to hear today, one of the clips anyway, that we have amnesia about our history. Therefore, celebrating Black History Month is more important than ever, and continuing to read and listen to Malcolm and Martin and Belle and Tony and Maya and James and Nicole and Zora and so many others is more important than ever before. Read those books. Listen to those amazing humans. And during this Black History Month, here at the very beginning of it, or one weekend anyway, I want to share with you some highlights from conversations that I have had with amazing Black leaders from all walks of life, authors, professors, preachers, actors, and so forth, over the past few years on this podcast. And this episode contains important snippets from my conversations with the following former guests and current damn givers. You're going to hear from Clint Smith from episode 27 from September 2017. You're going to hear episode 143 from June 2020 with Lisa Sharon Harper. You're going to hear a bit from episode 163 from September 2020 with Professor Eddie Glaude Jr. You're going to hear a bit from episode 169 from November 2020 with Chloe Valdery, an amazing conversation. You're also going to hear from my friend Coleman Domingo, episode 182 from February 2021. And the last clip you're going to hear is from episode 210 from October 2021 with my friend and amazing thinker, author, speaker, Joelle Leon. So again, that's Clint Smith, Lisa Sharon Harper, Eddie Glaude Jr., Chloe Valdery, Coleman Domingo, and Joelle Leon. These are amazing clips. And as I thought about who I wanted to highlight and which clips I wanted to share, I was reminded about how damn lucky I am to have these conversations with these amazing humans. And I hope you feel lucky that you get to hear these conversations and be alive at the same time as these wonderful humans. You get to watch them write and teach and speak and act and create in real time. It's truly, truly amazing. Before we get into this compilation episode of sorts, a quick reminder, as always, that you can email me anytime, 
and for any reason at hello at letsgiveadam.com. You can ask questions, recommend future guests, tell me how much you love or hate the show or me or whatever. Anything goes. I just love hearing from you. And now let's get right into these snippets from these amazing conversations with these amazing humans during this amazing Black History Month. Let's go. This sort of movement for Black Lives in the in the last several years, there's been this nomenclature of like stay woke, right? Everybody mm-hmm, stay woke, mm-hmm. suggestive of um, you know this notion that people have reached a certain level of critical consciousness that allows them to see uh, the world for what it is and not what um, has been sort of uh, espoused and propagated um, around issues of race, gender, sexual orientation, and the sort of larger systemic and institutional yeah. issues in the world. Um, and I think it's catchy and I think it's great. Uh, I also think it is not as helpful in outlining the way in which that process actually takes place. Because I think if it were more honest, it would be about, it would be called like stay waking up. It would be mm. this sort of like, it would suggest that it is an ongoing process. Yeah, it would suggest go. that it is, uh, it, it, it demands uh, proactivity, right? Because every day you have to wake up and say, even though, you know, so for me as a, as a straight man, um, I am. I can wake up, and it is very easy for me to be complicit or uh, or, or not f- push back against systems of uh, patriarchy, systems of homo- um, homophobia. And if I am not purposeful, am I? If I'm not proactive, if I'm not constantly thinking about who I am and if the, the things that I'm seeing in the world are aligned or not aligned with my values in accordance with those issues, um, then then it can be like very easy for me to sort of just, you know, oppression is kind of like this lazy, like the, at the water parks, they have those lazy rivers, right? Yeah. Oppression is like the kind of lazy river. You can just sit on your tube and you're not doing anything, um, but you are still benefiting from the current that it moves. But like to say, I'm going to step up and actually walk against this current is something that demands a sort of active mentality. So all that's to say, um, it is essential that we recognize that there are, especially people who are not part of marginalized groups of, of different identities, that it is essential that we recognize that it, how, how important it is to uh, stand up against issues that do not directly affect us. Um, and all, at the same time, recognizing that that is a hard thing, that it is not an easy thing to do. Um, and I think we can hold both of those things at once. And so that poem and that TED Talk is trying to wrestle with the that sort of strange duality. Um, and and I'll also just, you know, something that's not addressed in the TED Talk, but I think is important is that silence, this is talking about what it means to be silent in the face of, oppression in the face of injustice. Um, but there are also moments where, where silence is actually okay, mm. right? There's, and I think that, again, this is something you see on social media and things like that, that, there's a fine line between feeling like you need to say something about everything and then uh, saying something that you're informed about, right? And I'm where, I'm, and it's a, a, a blurry line because you don't want to say that like you have to have taken a critical race theory class to speak up about racism. I don't think that that is what we want to suggest. Um, but at the same way that like, you know, I'm not going to necessarily share, espouse like the way that I think we can defeat ISIS in Syria. Right. Um, even though I have 
thoughts and opinions on it. I am not an expert in that space, and so to uh, to share ideas as if I as if I were um, can be can be tricky and can be dangerous. But at the same time, you don't want to create a precedent where people feel. Um, that they can't share their ideas on things they're not necessarily experts in. So I think it just demands a level of thoughtfulness that we often continuously carry. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes total sense. I, th- I think there's a lot of, at least what I've encountered, and tell me if you have or not, with people, there's a level of, it's, it, a lot of it comes down to laziness. Mm. Um, not, not proactive or like, oh, I want to be lazy in this area, but it takes a lot of work to become informed. Mm. It takes a lot of work to stay waking up. Right. I really, really like that because you're, you're absolutely correct. The stay woke, it's a fine thing. And I've, I've, I like it, I yeah. like it a lot, but it, it implies that I am awake and that's just gonna continue whether I work at it or not. Right, it implies and, that there's a threshold that you have now crossed. Right. And that the work at, after And it's that not that done. way. It takes, it takes reading books and engaging with people and watching lectures and giving lectures and writing books and mm-hmm. just really engaging it. Because it, 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 these, are, these are complex issues right. that there is no one right answer for any of these things. I don't have any tears left. I'm kind of done with the tears. I barely have any rage left. I'm not enraged. I mean, I'm in a cussing mood. So I think I've cussed more than I have in a while this last week. But it's more, I feel literally, utterly determined. Mm. Like utterly determined and take no shit. Yeah. Take none. Throw it right back at you. If you throw it, don't you throw me no shit. Yeah. Because you throw me some shit, you're going to get some on your face. Yeah. Because um, it's clear to me what is, what is, what is the shit and what is not. And I will let you know if you're throwing shit. Yeah. And so I, because we don't have, I don't have a second to waste on your shit. Not you. (laughs) No. Maybe I'll give you some you shit that you don't point. want to take. No, I get your point. I do get your oh. point. Yeah, I don't no, have I, a second to waste because people are dying. Yeah. Because my people are dying. Because my dad, because my brother, because my brother-in-law, because my because both my brother-in-laws, because my nephew, any one of them, because my mom, because my sister, because I could be the next person. I could be the next Brianna Taylor. Mm-hmm. She wasn't doing anything wrong. She was in her freaking bed. Yep. She was in her bed. And I think that's the frustrating thing, right? Is that, you know, I, I posted a photo or I saw and posted a photo a little while ago of this older woman, 1965 Selma, Alabama, ho- po- holding up a sign that said, stop police killings. Yeah, right. That yeah. was 55 years ago. Yes, yes. Not a damn thing has changed. Like literally nothing, n- nothing has changed in yeah. 55 years. I've seen some some people posting online, you know, we've seen a lot of things posted online, but they 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 uh, uh presented something and I didn't really have a pushback for. It. In fact, I was like maybe that's they were like let's abolish the police force and start over. Like Well, that's is, me. I said that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I don't know if I saw yours or not, yeah. but I'm, but this is not working. And I have great friends that are, that are police officers and I've had lots of engagements with them and they are having conversations within their team and to their sergeants and their captains and their chiefs and their, like saying that, like, just so we're clear, 
That was not okay. The dude should, needs to go away for murder, right? So there's, I, I know there are good ones in there. I know it. I know it. I, I know a lot of them personally. The system as a whole needs to go. Listen, what I said yesterday is what I'll, I'll, I'll repeat here for your audience, that when you plant a tree, a fruit tree, mm. and that tree bears fruit, it's not enough to take the bad apples off the tree, right? Mm. It's not enough. You have to understand what kind of tree is this? Now, I know it just mixed metaphors, but sure. if, if you have to understand you're getting this fruit and if that fruit is consistently coming from this tree, it means the problem is not the fruit, it's the tree. Yeah. It's the tree. You, you got to ask, what's the seed? What seed did, what is the seed of this tree? And what was the intent when it was planted? Because the thing is, it's too consistent. It's too consistent to be a bad apple. It's too consistent to be um, uh, not intentional. Right. So when you go back and I'll share with you the history of the police department. I mean, when you go back to how the police happened, what, what's the seed? The seed was slave patrols. Mm. That is that was the seed that planted the police in the United States of America. There were no police for hundreds of years here until slave patrols and slave patrols weren't even technically the police they were slave patrols they had you know what they they wore um a star they wore a star that is an exact shape as the sheriff's badge now wow that's and it said slave patrol and after the end of the civil war when the civil war ended that star got transformed into the sheriff's badge do you hear me i do so what is the slave patrol? A slave patrol was basically a bunch of people who banded together after um, thousands. There were thousands of, of revolts by people who were enslaved throughout the South. Thousands, not only Denmark Vesey and um, the Cato Rebellion and other rebellions that happened in South Carolina and others, but literally thousands of, re of revolts, especially after the end of the Atlantic slave trade in 1808, when at that time it also coincided with the rise of, of um, King Cotton in the South and the invention of the cotton gin, which did not deep, um, cause the need for less enslaved people, but actually caused the need for more because they were producing more cotton. And so they needed more enslaved people to pick that cotton and to begin to, you know, pick it apart and all that. So you start having breeding farms. Let's go, let's be real, y'all. Throughout Same. all of, of um, Virginia, Virginia became the main place where they had farms. They literally created plantations that existed to breed people. Sit in that for one second. And it wasn't just Virginia. It was all of the states. But Virginia was the main provider of human beings that they had bred to the whole South. So when you have breeding farms that are breeding people to be sold into the Deep South, and in that Deep South, they are then whooped silly if they try to escape, which every human being tries to escape, a lack of freedom. 
you're going to have rebellions. And that's what happened. You had thousands of rebellions, or at least a thousand rebellions that happened across the whole South between 1808 and 1850, 1860, when the Civil War started. So that's why the slave patrols started, because they were afraid of Black people killing them in the middle of the night or leaving, stealing their, quote, property from them by escaping. So after the Civil War, when there are no more, in quote, slaves, and it was for nine years, it was actually okay. You know, they, we had the National Guard down in the South, and they were, they were keeping the peace. But then there was a big compromise that was made, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the Harding Compromise, it was made in um, 18, uh, 1877, 1878, and it basically, the, the Democrats, the North, just said, okay, we will pull the troops out. Actually, it wasn't the Democrats, it was the Republicans. We will, we will um, pull the troops out of the South, and you can deal with your race thing in your way in exchange for you cooperating with us as, as in the Union, mm-hmm. and they did that. And that's when Jim Crow happened. That's when that that's what started the flood of more than four thousand. Some now estimate up to five thousand, or even up to a little beyond five thousand people dying within the next ninety years. Not even ninety. I'm sorry, I keep doing that. But from 1777 to to 1950, so it's like like eighty years or so. Yeah. So you have this period where. Now with Jim Crow, where the police, the slave patrol, the same people who were the slave patrols, now are, they have a badge on their chest, a place on their chest in order to, what, to keep those black people in check, to make sure they, they work for us for near free, to work to make sure and also to, to round them up off the streets and put them in back into now new prisons. And those prisons, which did not exist before the, the Civil War, but now exist, and they exist in order to take advantage of the 13th Amendment, which gives you the ability to enslave a person in the United States under one condition, that they are imprisoned. Oh, now we need to build prisons. And now we're going to round them, we're going to lower the bar of, of criminality. We're going to sweep them up. We're going to put them on the plantations. And that's the job of the sheriff. That's the job of the slave patrol. I'm sorry. That's the job of the new police. So now we have Jim Crow. And that goes all the way through the 60s. Really, well, all the way through, yeah, through through the Civil Rights Act when it's ended. And now you have from there about a 10-year period where we were somewhat free, trying to figure out what this freedom looks like. And then you get mass incarceration. Right. So now you have, again, they lower the bar of criminality, this time focused on drugs. And the police are doing the same thing. They're patrolling mm-hmm. the streets, not to enforce the law, not to enforce the law, but to enforce white supremacy, to enforce white flourishing. What happens next? We have, we have a very content. We're, we're maybe more polarized than ever before. Um, we have a a president in a cur- in an administration that is trying to whitewash. They're trying to stay in the never Neverland 
right? That we just described, right? In, in the book, we have to allow this innocent idea of America to die. It is irredeemable. That does not mean we are too, right? We have, they don't want to grow up and they don't want to face, we have President Trump who's trying to get money right now to fund this, this bullshit propaganda he's calling the right version of history, right? Because we're, you know, apparently this, you know, 1619 project and all these other things are they're, they're, it's, that's, they're all lies, right? We're just trying to make white people look bad. And it's like, no, it has nothing to do. It has nothing to do necessarily with, with white people, like period. It has everything to do with white people have done a lot of fucked up things that they've never come to terms with. Hundreds of millions of Americans want to say, well, I did, I never owned slave. I, I never got that argument because that doesn't work in any other, in any other part of our lives. That doesn't work to, to push off responsibility because I wasn't the one to do it. And here we are as a country saying, well, I'm not like reparations out of the question, all like re- abolishing the police out of the question. We've got to just make what we have better instead of really recognizing that we are, we have to almost, maybe we have to like really truly crash and burn, like really, I mean, just unravel so that we can start at, and, and here's the problem. This is, the, so that's what I believe needs to happen. But I don't think we can. That's the problem. We are, we are one of my very conservative friends. I've mentioned this a few times and I'll keep mentioning it because I think it was it's such an easy uh, uh, thought. But I, I, I never thought about it before. He said, America is too big. It's too big. It's 350 million people. Can you get that many people to come to terms with where we've come from, who we are currently, and we have to change everything. Like, can that happen? You look at the happiest places on earth. You look at the happiest countries. First of all, they're being led by women, not megalomaniacal white men. They are being led by women. They're being led by progressive men. And they're also a lot smaller, right? Five, 10, 15, 20 million kind of Germany's on the bigger side of put together countries that are trying to do things right. Our country is so big. Is that, do you agree with that? Or does that make sense? Or do you think that a country this size could make the changes necessary? You know, this is the richest country in the history of the world. So it has the means. It just doesn't have the will. There you go. Right. I mean, if you have a society that's predicated upon an economic philosophy of extraction mm. that presumes that certain folk are disposable, then you're going to see what and who they value and how they budget. So, and then they're going to convince us and tell us the lie that there are limited resources. You know, we can't do all the things that folks want us to do. Uh, That's not true. It's just a lie. And so I think at the end of the day, it's not about, to me, to me, it's not necessarily about our size. It's about our will. Hmm. It's about what these people are willing to do and why they're not willing to do it. Hmm. Many are just, it's abject greed. And it's a profound investment in the idea that this country must remain a white nation in the vein of old Europe. And when those two things, Donald Trump sits in the sweet spot of those two things. Sure. Of greed and racism. That's where he rests right there. And he exploits it for his end. You know, so, you know, you asked me in the last few, few minutes where we are to just kind of say, well, where buckle up, Doc. Nothing about November is going to resolve anything. No, 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 no. Yeah, exactly. Buckle up. 
we're in we're in we're in the eye of the storm. The tail is coming. Yeah. I grew up on the coast. The tail is coming. And it might turn back around on us, given given the way climate change has changed, the, you know, how these storms work. So so part of what I do know is this. In every moment in which the country has had an opportunity for it to be otherwise. White supremacy is the umbilical cord wrapped around the baby's neck. And it chokes the life out of it. Mm. Every single time. We got to be better midwives. We can't tinker around the edges. We know the place is broken. It is clear it's broken. It's broken economically. It's broken politically. We're broken socially. Mm. The very fabric of the country has shredded. It's coming apart at the seams. And it seems to me that we're in this moment right now where we have to dream big dreams or to put it in a different language, we have to take Cole's train giant steps. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Make somebody go, wait, what did he just play? We have to do something at the level of the social that is that remarkable. The question is, do we have the will? I'm a, I'm a firm believer in Baldwin, in mm. this sense of what Baldwin how Baldwin put it. The only way we can even dare to build a new Jerusalem is that we have to give up on the idea of trying to convince some of these folk to believe otherwise and instead invest our energy in building a world where those noxious views have no quarter to breathe. I'm tired of trying to compromise. I'm tired of tired of trying to convince. I want you and me and others of like mind and spirit to do everything we can to risk everything we can in trying to build a world where no matter the color of your skin, no matter your zip code, no matter who you love, no matter your gender, no matter your physical ability, that not only can you dream dreams, you can make those dreams a reality. man. And it seems to me that requires that we dream of a way of creating selves that don't need enemies to echo Jimmy. And we'll see what happens from there, you know? If someone is involved in the current uh, uh, heated rhetoric and mm-hmm. they're contributing to the problem instead of being a, an exception to the problem, right. you can't start by thinking by rearranging your brain and your mind and your heart and your soul to do everything in love and compassion if you if you're still seeing people as political abstractions. Exactly. Um, so this is obviously a progression. How does one once they're, as they're going through these points and as they're reorienting their lives? Uh, their rhetoric, their speech, their thoughts around these three things. How does one, what are some practical ways that someone can begin to root everything they do in love and compassion? Well, the truth is that the third principle is basically the culmination of the first two. And the practice of the first two principles ends up being uh, a practice in rooting everything you do in love and compassion. So, so if you do of, one and two, you are doing three. Number three is going to happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, practically, I think again, it starts with probing yourself. Um, Self love is a critical, critical piece of this. Um, we are hard on ourselves often as human beings. Don't give ourselves space 
for making mistakes or for, you know, not always having, you know, a good day, for example. And so it's important to cultivate an attitude of love first for yourself uh, and being able to give yourself the space to, like I said, make mistakes. But also another way to cultivate self-love, I think, um, is, and I highly recommend that people do this. I started doing this this year is to develop some kind of meditation practice. Um, yes. And the reason for that is very simple. Uh, from a biological perspective, our brains are one of the most probably sophisticated organs um, that exist on planet Earth. It's made up of a limbic system, which is super, super, super old, um, also known as the reptilian system. It's responsible for our fast thinking, either or forms of thinking. It helped us survive when we were evolving in the jungles. Um, it helps us make quick decisions. Um, so we have that limbic system, but we also have the prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for slowing things down, executive functioning, thinking things through. It's far younger than the limbic system. Um, but because we uh, live in the 21st century, or although we live in the 21st century, we haven't necessarily updated our software system in our mm. heads to slow down. And oftentimes we uh, deploy the limbic system in situations where it doesn't need to be deployed. Not everything is a threat of, of such epic proportions to, um, our, to who we are and, and, and our fundamental existence. So one of the things that helps us slow down and recognize the negative stories that sometimes play over and over again in our head that are part of why we develop insecurity so strongly, a way to slow that down is to start meditating. Because when you meditate, you can just begin to notice the stories that you're telling yourself. You begin to bear witness. And then you begin to develop the capacity to say, oh, that's just a story. I can change it to another story. Right? So I think that's a, a huge component of this because it also helps you to practice that self-love and give yourself the space. And not only that, once you start recognizing that within yourself, when you interact with people whether online or in the real world, you can begin, I think, to notice that sometimes, or actually, quite frankly, many times, oftentimes, human beings project from mm. whatever story is going on in their head onto you. And so you can begin to recognize that. And instead of responding to the story that they're projecting, you can ignore that and respond directly to the human being. So a person can be Really, let's say I actually had a conversation with someone a couple weeks ago who was like going on and on, complaining about the political landscape. I just met this person for the first time uh, <laughs> and they were clearly stressed out, right? Yeah. And um, just going on and on about the news media and all of this. And I was like, how much news do you consume on a regular basis? And he said, way too much. And I said, yes, I can tell. Yeah. Like I immediately knew everything that he was saying, all the rhetoric he was saying was really a facade for something else that was going on underneath the layers of all of that. And so I needed to speak to that person um, as opposed to the story that he was projecting. And that's a real clarifying process, a liberating process um, to be able to recognize that again, both within yourself and within your neighbor. So that is a, is, is, are two practical ways I would say to practice self-love. Um, and then you can try to do that with, with others as well. 
This is so fucking good. I love that you started with uh, that one of the main ways that you see number three sort of lived out is this Mm self-love. I I've always been super bad at that. Uh, I we all are myself included. Yes. But I but I've yeah, I I grew up the second oldest of 12 kids. Uh, My older brother, who's uh, wonderful when he was when he when we were when we were teenagers trying to help mom and dad with all the kids. Like he made a bunch of terrible decisions, and um, and I was, I, I assumed that role because of my personality. I had no problem assuming that role of like the older child, but mm-hmm. I had that thrust upon me, and so I've always been, like my mo, my immediate response is to always take care of other people, mm-hmm. and I have exhausted myself to the point of burnout many times in my life just taking care of people, taking care of people and not taking care of myself. And so right. it's, it's, it's awesome how these are like what you're doing with theory of enchantment is, is pretty, uh, close to what, what I've been sort of preaching with let's give a damn. And that is there's three, there's three steps for giving a damn. Number one is you've got to give a damn about yourself first. So many mm-hmm. of us here give a damn and they're like, Oh, got to go out there and save the world. Well, first of all, you can't save the fucking world. Right. So <laughs> stop never like literally give that up right now. That's that you can't do that. But you've got to start with t- giving a damn about yourself. And yeah. that is that self-care, that self-love. Do that hard work first. Do that homework. Do that really, really hard work for some yeah. of us that have been hurt in so many different ways. Then number two is give a damn about uh, each other. Mm-hmm. And that is, those are the people that are around you. That's Those are your family, your friends, your partner, your spouse, your kids, whatever it is. The people that you're going to pour into them, they're going to pour into you all the time. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Take, make sure that group is healthy yeah. Be- because you're going to need it as yeah. you go to step three, which is then give a damn about others. That's the, that's when these bigger projects that you're going to take on, whether it's, whether it's your main occupation or it's something you do on the side, before you can give a damn about the world, mm-hmm. you've got to do those other two steps or else yeah. you're going to do it in an unhealthy way. You're going to hurt more people than you help. And you're not going to get much done, frankly, yeah. because you can't go straight to number three, fix everything without doing that homework first. So I love, I love that uh, if you do one and two, you're gonna, you're gonna automatically already be living out, rooting everything in love and compassion. Yeah, because if you practice the art of self-refinement, then the way you move about in the world will change. I think right now we're still in a, a place where we're, we're trying to um, dismantle um, systemic racism i think i think it's a, this is a long game because people think they've been putting band-aids on it and think they put out their anti-racist statement and think they're done no what we keep we're going to keep going and yeah. i feel everybody's got everybody's got to not be tired of it the you know what i mean it's like don't, don't get be so quick to just get back on social media and put a cute picture of you looking cute i think we got to stay the course i mean you need some of those too you need some sure. light and some fun but yeah. i'm like yo you got to remember we got to stay in this this is the long haul you know, because otherwise we're going to go, we're going to, I know already, I can tell just in some conversations that I've had with people, whether it's producers and all, they're slipping right back into the old thought. 100%. They, they truly are. And I'm like, oh, so you're not learning anything. You didn't learn from this moment, but you want to go to the comfort space and you're just going to go with old. And this is how we get caught up in it as well. We have Americans have amnesia <laughs> because we don't want to deal with the pain and the stain of America. You re- I mean, truly, that's exactly what it is. You know, we don't have monuments like um, Germany where it says never again. 
You know, we should have, I remember when I would go around, I remember I went to Petersburg, Virginia, where my parents were living and I saw um, a place where they were, uh, where they sold slaves and I heard it was a nightclub. I was like a nightclub. Mm. So, so is there, and there was no signs or memorial or anything like that. I was like, well, so we're just going to forget. We're just going to be like partying it up. <laughs> you know, like that doesn't make sense to me at all. But um, we just have a lot of work to do. And I think Americans were just, we're still such a young country. We just, we just want to party and have a good time and enjoy our lives. And that's part of it. We should do that I mean, and be hopeful. But we should also understand the work that we need to do and the work that we need to do every day. It's, yeah. it's every, and, and I think, you know, my white counterparts realize that the work has to be done every day because black people are doing it every day. Right. I, I, I have worked on it every day. Yep. Why? Just showing up. Yep. <laughs> so that means you have to show up different too, you know? You wrote this article uh, last, I think it was June, uh, on Deadline about George Floyd and Nat King Cole and the deep legacy that connects them both. I'd love for you to talk about that piece uh, for a little bit, because this is, you know, w- one of my questions was going to be, how are you feeling in those days after that? Like, as a black man living in America, how are you feeling that? And I think some of that comes through in this article, right? Uh, you drawing these parallels and these connections. Uh, I, I want to read one paragraph, and then I want to turn it over to you to, to yeah, just share how you were, you know, about this article as well, because I, I'm going to link to it in the show notes. I want everybody to go read it. But you wrote in there, it isn't It isn't easy to live in this brown body. I am talking to all my friends and colleagues to say, yes, this is a problem. It has always been here. I have never had the privilege to think otherwise. This world has repeatedly shown me. You might think that when one is a public person that it cancels out my fear. My black friends know better. Everyone is overdue to stand up for what is right. Use your voices to say loudly that black lives matter. No one who loves me can sit this one out. The price will be heavy for our future if we do. To my cast, crews, producers, production companies, et cetera, you can't look away anymore. I won't let you. So I think that's a little bit of what you're feeling, you know, in those in those days after. But tell us about that article, you know, the response to it maybe online, what people were saying in return. Hopefully, I, I hope that it was mostly positive and affirming. But yeah, how were you in those days uh, uh, after the the public lynching of George Floyd, and kind of kind of uh, blend in some of this article as well? Well, I was um, not only particularly rattled by the George Floyd moment, but also of uh, what is her name? That woman, in Breonna Taylor. Oh no, no, yes, no. yes, the the yes, God, what was I her can't name? even think of her name anymore. My, my, my I don't know what what. That, that was, was her har- that was harassing the bird watcher. Um, yeah, exactly. My brain so is fried was, too. I can't remember yeah, his exactly. name either. So yeah, I, so I was com- particularly rattled by that, even more so. I understood that my my brain could understand what what going on with George Floyd because it's been happening over and over again. But that moment really took me out because I thought I know these women. Mm. I know these women and men who, on a good day. You you know they have black friends. You know that they have that they're the good people. They're well, I probably, we probably vote the same way. You name it. But there was something in her in that moment that called on something in the system that she understood her place in it. And in that moment, she called on it, which, which could have been the death of this man hmm. because she wasn't getting her way. Mm. Or yeah, in some way, and that's the thing that 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 really laid me out. I really felt like for a couple of nights I couldn't sleep, and I was so upset about it. And I talked to my my white 
girlfriends about it and stuff like that. And we would just have to really unpack this stuff. Um, and I just thought, man, this is a, she didn't even know that she had this problem. And I, I not that I, I didn't feel sorry for her, but I was like, God damn, you could have killed this man. Yeah. Because you, you knew the system, you knew your power as a white woman in this country. And that hurt even more. And so I was called on to, I think I wrote something or I, I started writing something. I think I wrote it and just, I don't know. I don't even know how it came about, but my, um, my publicist somehow got it to deadline and it was something I wanted to write for the industry as well, mm. because I thought all this silence, there was still so much silence and people feel like, I don't know what to do. Well, neither do I, but you got to do something. You know what I mean? And you got to say something. And I thought that there was a lot of people being silent, whether it was on social media, they're protecting their money, they're protecting their institution or whatever. And I said, I'm not having it. I'm not having it at all. Yeah. If you expect me to show up with as much kindness and love and support that I always do and that I'm very conscious of, but I feel like I can't meet you in the eye anymore because I know that you're not team me. I'm team you, but you're also team you. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I thought yep. that this was something I had to write and, um, and call out my colleagues. And uh, it was met with so much support by everyone in the industry from executives, producers, um, transportation people, everyone, they were passing it around all over, which has been, which was great. It's funny. It just made me think I should probably put that out again. Cause I'm like, people forget. Because uh, you almost have yeah. to like, hey, I want you to think about it one more time. <laughs> that, that 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 American amnesia, exactly. We forget. Yeah, I'm so like, easily. hey, it's, it's like, hey, remember this? I want you to keep doing it. I want you to stay in it with me. So I wrote that from a place um, because I knew that, like, I, I had a, a a musical that I wrote about Nat King Cole a few years ago, right. and I deconstructed Nat King Cole because I thought there's nobody who can walk around with that much grace. You can't take the high road. You can't go high all the time. Right. You know, I, I was like, there's gotta be some rage in there. There's gotta be, I mean, there's gotta be some fire in that fuel that keeps you going and doing your thing. Because I'm like, I know as an artist in this industry, every day is a choice. I have a choice to either burn it all down or I have a choice to approach it with grace and understanding. I have that choice truly because yeah, there's a lot, I have a lot of rage. I do. But I think the way I find I make it useful is with grace and understanding and love and care and pouring more into that. But I also I wanted to examine like Nat King Cole. Nat King Cole has some Malcolm X in him. Mm. Of course he does. Mm. Of course he does. Well, of course. Yeah. I was like, don't think of him just being, you know, I, I wanted to read. I, I was up to look just to compare them. I'm like, no, they're, we're all alike because we're black men in this country. And so we have all of the same thing. We're just making choices on how to maneuver through, manipulate, work the system, make it work out for us at the end of the day so we can have what we need for our families and to take care of each our, our, what we need to. So I think that, you know, I wanted, that was a, just an examination of like what I see as an artist in this industry. And I wanted it to be out there in the world and for people to make a choice and to let them know you being silent does nothing for me. And if you say that you are my friend, my colleague, you love me. Oh, Coleman, we love you. Shaking hands and oh, Coleman, Coleman, Coleman. Don't give me that bullshit. Mm-hmm. I want you, I want you to I want you to really stand by it. And 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 you got to put your ass on the line because I know that I put my my ass on the line every day. I'm I'm always the one that speaks up. 
Yeah. And at, at times that, you know, that's a lonely space. Sometimes you're like, does anybody else not, not want to speak up for what's right for not only me, but for you as well. Or do we just want to sit by and sit idly by and just deal with, you know, not say anything because we're afraid of losing what little that we have. I'm not interested in that. Maybe it's also because I'm older too. I'm 51 years old. I, I start to give less fucks. You have a way for for lack of a better term you have a way with words both <laughs> thank you man. spoken yeah. and written yeah. and as i was thinking about our conversation i was thinking about uh this bible verse that is very well mm -hmm. known proverbs 18 21 words kill words give life they're either either they're either poison or fruit you mm -hmm. choose that's mm -hmm. the message translation which i like it's just very practical yeah, right yeah, yeah. but they kill or they give life mm -hmm. um and there's a lot of killing words being put into yeah, yeah, yeah. the internet and out sure. into the world. So much so, I'm not gonna pin it on uh, a Donald Trump or somebody like that. Mm -hmm. But in the past five years, lots of people have risen like that, that yeah, have given yeah. people permission yeah. to be dicks. <laughs> yeah, Like yeah. just keyboard warriors, mm -hmm. how can I be the most hurtful, the most <laughs> harmful yeah. on mm -hmm. the internet? And then there are certain people I think like yourself that are saying, we have a choice here. Mm -hmm. I'm sure, I don't know, maybe not. I'm sure you feel sometimes like just blurting out the poison as it says, not the fruit, yeah. the poison. Yeah. Cause it's easy to, there's so much shit going on, man. There's so much like hard stuff and we live yeah. in the wealthiest city in the world, mm -hmm. but also there's a lot of crazy stuff happening Absolutely. here. Police Absolutely. brutality. You've got, you know, people that are experiencing homelessness. It's running rampant. Yeah. Kids that are experiencing homelessness. You have so much going on, and um, so let's talk about your words. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about your sure. words. Sure. The uh, our our Lord and Savior Lin Manuel Miranda um, <laughs> said that your your words, Joel's words, are where I go when I need inspiration, and he never lets me down. I feel that way. I'm not Lynn, cool. but I feel that way. <laughs> so where, talk about the importance of words, yeah. written and spoken. Yeah. Talk about why you are trying to be, it seems you're trying to be very careful about what you put out into the world. Maybe it is a deep understanding, whether it's from Proverbs or not, but of that idea of words kill or they mm -hmm. give life. One of the two, yeah. it's your choice. The Bible also talks about the tongue as like a fire. Mm. It can it can burn. It can destroy mm -hmm. things, Absolutely. right? Or it gives life. Mm -hmm. It can change a person's life. Absolutely. Talk about words. I mean, first of all, again, thank you, Nick, for for, for all of that. I think. Um, what do I start? I um, yeah, that was a lot. I just like no, no, went for like five no, minutes. No, 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 no. That was wonderful. I think. Um, you know, my love language is words of affirmation. And so, you know, when you when you're talking about coming from like a wounded place or a place where you haven't you're not working through your trauma as a person who's been through trauma, who saw how words affected me and mm. either gave me life or, you know, um, made me bleed, you know, like they're there. Um, I, I think at a certain point in time, especially with my affinity for words, I just love words. I've always loved words. I wish I could tell you 
why I mean I think part of it is like my mom had been my mom had been putting books in my hands since I was like four and so like I had a very voracious appetite yeah you know comic books books newspapers it didn't matter like I just wanted to read the dictionary encyclopedias like whatever had words that's our kids too I love it it's my favorite thing it's the and it's and it's it's such a breeding ground for um for autonomy for agency because now I have I don't have a college degree you know I have two years of college and a high school diploma and I have um, like rap albums and I have like Sonia Sanchez and Nikki Giovanni like these people are my teachers Jay-Z like these are my teachers when it comes to the written word and utilizing language in a way and I could see how powerful it was like when I you know I love documentaries so anytime there's a hip-hop documentary I'm I'm Instantly engaged, like and really a music documentary. Like we're watching a uh, 1971 on Apple TV now. It's essentially, it's about the year. It's the year of music that changed everything. And hmm. you know, it's you know, Carol King's um, Tapestry comes out. You know, Sliding the Family Stones. There's a riot going on. The Rolling Stones moved to the U.S. There's so much like you know, huge year. Bowie finally kind of becomes Bowie, right? And it's like there's so many things happening, um, and. I, I I'm but anyway so I'm thinking about um uh, this is I forget which documentary I, I, I was watching but it's watching Run DMC on stage and how they command the stage and run specifically Run and also DMC and the power of not just their performance but of their words you know like my Adidas changed how people wore sneakers yeah you know granted they were just emulating what what was already happening in Queens like you know what I'm saying like tongue out laces out it was like they but they put that out to the world and so now the world is seeing this you know um I don't know there's something about the the, yeah. the power yeah. of words for me it's I've I, t- I say this often like you can tell me you love me and that'll be enough you know like because like words of affirmation like that's what it it means that much to me and so Knowing that, um, I wanna. I, it's. I feel like it's my duty to remind people the importance of words and like how words have so much power to them, and how we sometimes are very careless with with our words. Like, I'll give you an example. So, I posted. <laughs> I posted something yesterday, um, and uh, the, the the tweet was uh, Mercury is in ginger ale. Thought it was funny. It was cute. I saw it. Yeah, I posted it on Instagram. There was a background of a tarot card. The tarot card. Um, it's actually a picture of the RZA, right? The mm-hmm. RZA for those who are listening, the RZA from the Wu Tang Clan, and um, I tagged the I tagged the uh, company because um, I, I had I was trying to find the right image. I finally found it on Pinterest, saved it, figured out how to post it because like whatever, and then I tagged the person. And I got a comment in the post while after like, can you please can you please enter me in the caption since you didn't since you didn't since you edited my picture without my permission? And my immediate thought, Nick, well not my immediate, but once I went to the page and saw that it was a white man who had taken an image of the RZA and made a tarot card out of it and was selling it, my immediate thought was like, bro, you are a white man who is stealing black. Like black yeah. black art and yeah. and selling it colonized like, for profit is what you kind like of what did. You, and yeah. like and now, was, you, and now you want credit for like it. bro please relax that was my thought I didn't do that what I did instead was I still tagged him he's still in the caption I just deleted the comment and kept it moving it's the intent and like because I don't want to feed into 
I can recognize my anger and not feed into it. Mm. And I think that's the thing. Okay. You know, it's like I can be with it. I can see it. Cause like Nick, I was, it was like two o'clock in the morning, bro. And I was like, oh, man, I want to, I want to eviscerate. I yeah, I have it. a sermon for you, sir. Yeah. And like I knew, and I knew what, what would also happen is yeah. that if I left the comment up, somebody probably was going to respond to it. And I was like, I don't want someone to have to do that labor, especially a black woman. And then if I comment on that, other people are going to comment on this person and like get on them about it. And maybe they should. I don't know. Again, <laughs> whatever. But at the end of the day, it's like I have uh, the authority. Like I don't have some kind of chemical imbalance that's keeping me from being cognizant of that. Like so I don't have bipolar disorder. I'm not I don't have depressive disorder um, or any of those anything that's like going to keep me from being able to properly reconcile and use discernment of like do I need to show up in this way and what is this solving is this my ego or is this actually doing something you know and a lot of what we do and myself included like I'm very aware of it, it be, it's a circle jerk it can become easily become yeah. an intellectual circle jerk yeah. or an emotional circle yeah. jerk because the people who need it especially in like leftist circles and activist circles the people who need it are not online they're not the ones who are reading articles about um, toxic masculinity and patriarchy they're on my block like they yeah. they don't care about that shit. They're not they're not reading the latest essay in the New York Times. They're not discrediting them. Like they might be. I doubt that immensely because I live. I've been living in the hood long enough to know. Like cats are not. That's not cats are trying to figure out how to get from point A to point B. Mm. They're trying to survive. Like they're not interested in having conversations about abortion rights in Texas. You know what I'm saying? And like I wish they would, and they should. Um, but having to be very clear about who am I communicating this to yeah. wh and why, like, what's the purpose? And, and me knowing that is for me, like when I tweet things, it's because it's a thing that I've been thinking about. Like I tweeted about community recently and I posted it on Instagram because I know how much I need community and I want community, which is why we're doing this in person. Mm -hmm. Like there's something very intentional about the p utilizing words to bring people together as opposed to separate. And like the divisiveness has already existed. So I'm not with the, you know, we have to be more positive because the country's been divided, you know, like it's been that way. I think Trump, I think this whole conversation about vaccinations, I think the country's just, it's just showing how great of the chasm, how great the chasm actually is. Correct. This is fine. I think for me, it's not about not being divisive. It's just about speaking truth. And putting and, and utilizing words to do that and use, utilizing love in order to do that and recognizing that, you know, since we have the time, when I think about the Black Panther Party, the conversations that we generally have about the Black Panther Party, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's about these beautiful black men and women um, and non-binary folks as well who are showing up in these like these beautiful black leather suit and jackets and pants and they got guns and they're storming and they're storming the buildings and they're shooting at the pigs. And it's like the most prominent thing that the Black Panther Party did was create the free breakfast program. Um, and and feeding kids, feeding poor black and brown kids in these communities. That was an act of love. It was an act of love and it was revolutionary. And I think it's easy to think that love is passive when it is not at all. Like Malcolm was, Malcolm's love for people is what led him to Mecca. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's not, it's not a either or, you know. And like when I have these conversations with folks, I have to make people recognize like the anger, the anger is a catalyst, but... It, <laughs> We tend to think and look at the anger as like, that's what's going to move people. And it's like Huey Newton is dead. You know what I'm saying? Like Malcolm is dead. Martin is dead. Like this is like, you know, Stokely Carmichael changed his name and left the country. 
you know, and rightfully so, but it's the anger, like, it got us to a point. Yep. And not saying that the love is going to get us across the threshold. I think it's both. But we can't keep talking about one side of this equation and thinking the one, there's only one way for us to be liberated. And for me, words are part of that process. Friends, thank you for showing up and for spending some time with Clint and Lisa and Eddie and Chloe and Coleman and Joelle and me this week. To find links for everything mentioned in today's conversation and to keep up with all things Let's Give a Damn, visit letsgiveadamn.com. Please share this episode with a friend or two or 10. Please consider leaving us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And please, my friends, show up next week. We have many more incredible conversations coming your way. Chad Snavely, Jess Collins-Harn, and the incredible team at Sound On Studios made this episode. The music is by our friend Propaganda. You can reach out anytime and for any reason at hello at letsgiveadam.com. I love you all. Be safe. Keep giving a damn. Bye for now.